0: Welcome back to the Not Old Better Show Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast, the show that brings you the most compelling stories and insights on health, wellness, and the incredible... Potential of aging. We're broadcasting from just outside of Washington, D.C. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and today we have a truly special episode lined up for you. But before we dive in, let's take a moment to acknowledge our sponsors today, Liquid IV and Nationwide Coins. Please check out our sponsors in our show notes today. Also, Let's recognize the pioneers who have broken barriers in their respective fields, especially those who have done so later in life. It's never too late to make history, and today's guest is here to tell us about a group of women who did just that. We are honored to have Lauren Grush, the author of the groundbreaking book available everywhere right now, titled The Six, The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts. Lauren Grush's new book delves into the untold stories of America's first female astronauts, a topic that has been long overshadowed by the male counterparts. In 1973, NASA's report mentioned that the only females they had sent to space were two spiders and a monkey. Fast forward to today, and we see a more inclusive space program. But the journey has been anything but smooth from Valentina Tereshkova the Soviet parachutist who orbited Earth 48 times, to Jerry Cobb, who passed NASA's grueling tests but was sidelined due to societal norms. Lauren Grush's new book captures the highs and lows of this journey. It's a vivid account that our audience, particularly all of us who are Smithsonian Associates fans, will find both inspiring and enlightening. The Six, the untold story of America's first women astronauts, also touches on the fascinating details of zero gravity life, from the challenges of adapting space toilets for women to the negotiations around appropriate space wear. It's a blend of serious history and entertaining trivia that promises to keep all of you hooked, including a reading by Lauren Grush herself as she describes an awkward encounter with a Time magazine reporter who, while asking questions of Sally Ride, about the possibility of Sally weeping during difficulties she might encounter as an astronaut.
1: The press jabbed and the crew parried back and forth throughout the session. They seemed to get into a good rhythm, but nothing could have prepared Sally or any of the crew for a question asked of Sally by a reporter from Time. During your training exercises as a member of this group, when there was a problem, when there was a funny glitch or whatever, how did you respond? How did you take it as a human being? Do you you weep? What do you do? Sally's face screamed what she couldn't say out loud herself. You cannot be serious. Trying her best to remain as collected as possible, she laughed, shook shook her head, and gave the best response she could think of. Why doesn't anybody ask Rick those questions? The crowd laughed while Bob jumped in again to help. The commander weeps, he joked. Laughing, Sally gave a more serious reply to the reporter. I don't think I react any differently than anybody else on the crew does. Sally did get a short moment to sum up how she really felt about all this attention. It's too bad that our society isn't further along and that this is such a big deal, she said. But I guess if the American public thinks that it's a big deal, then it's probably good that it's getting the coverage that it's getting. I think it's time we get away from that. And it's time people realize that women in this country can do any job they want to do.
0: That, of course, is our guest today, science writer Lauren Grush, reading from her new book, The Six, The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts. So buckle up as we embark on this cosmic journey with Lauren Grush to explore the untold stories of America's first women astronauts. It's a conversation you won't want to miss. Lauren Grush, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's great to talk with you. Congratulations on this new book, The Six, The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts. Wonderful book. I just enjoyed it so much. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Hope your day is going well, that you and yours are all doing great. But uh, what a pleasure it is to speak again. Congrats on this book.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited to chat. It's been a, a long labor of love,
0: for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about, I want to just start there then. You know, you're you're the child of two NASA engineers and kind of the story behind the story at least is you know, I felt and and maybe we'll we'll start there is it just seemed as though you 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 probably were meant to tell this story. Were you aware <laughs> of all of this growing up?
1: Uh, I would actually say I never felt meant to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Um I was cer- certainly oh, the, you know, the Shuttle program was a very big fixture in my life. Uh mm-hmm. but both of my parents worked on that program, you know, at Johnson Space Center. Uh I grew up outside of Houston. You know, that was the entirety of their professional careers. Um but I, you know, I'm sure you Everyone remembers being a teenager, and <laughs> uh, not you know whatever your parents did wasn't necessarily <laughs> considered very cool. Oh, and no. so I was the same way. And also I was in a very unique situation, you know, in the town that I grew up in. It wasn't abnormal to have parents who worked for the space program. We were all very you know closely located to NASA's Johnson Space Center, and so a lot of people. Parents or knew some, they knew somebody who worked at NASA. It was a very big NASA town. Uh, So I kind of gravitated away from space, away from the shuttle program, away from NASA for a really long time just because it was all around me. And, you know, I wanted to forge my own path. And so I was really more drawn to storytelling. And that's how I wound up in journalism. But then, you know, once I left uh, Houston and moved away, it was that. When I started to get a new perspective on how special my upbringing was and you know, hearing other people hear me tell them that I grew up uh, in that environment and how surprised and interested and excited they were made me realize, oh, this was special and unique and something to really cherish. And so when I started to pick the kinds of stories that I wanted to write about as a journalist, I found myself gravitating towards stories of science and innovation And then I started wondering, I wonder if I could focus on space specifically, because I felt like I knew all about it. I really did not (laughs) at the time, you know, because I hadn't been paying attention for a while. Um, But then I, you know, I started to pay more attention and uh, I somehow managed to find multiple jobs that would let me write about space full time. And so it really, I wouldn't say I was meant to write it, but I definitely came back around in a very... Uh, you know, full circle way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, again, congrats. Uh, you know, it's, it is a wonderful story. The six, the untold story of America's first women astronauts. So many in my audience will remember this period the 60s and the 70s well enough and even remember our teenage years they're pretty pretty well but i think the <laughs> 60s certainly a decade of change uh for all but but particularly for women and equal pay was was on our mind uh, issues like domestic violence a lot of these things were were very uh present the 70s fem- feminism was was making waves and, and we were thinking about those kinds of subjects. What was NASA thinking about during these times in terms of their choices for personnel? Did they did they even have a, a formal female selection process for, for astronauts?
1: I wouldn't say it was a formal selection process for women specifically, but it was definitely, as you mentioned, that the country was going through this radical change. Mm-hmm. And NASA was starting to get questions about why they didn't have a more diverse, astronaut program, or even the personnel that they employed, why they weren't as, you know, reflecting of the country either. And so it was something that NASA just really couldn't ignore anymore during that time. And so what I loved about the uh, astronaut selection process in the night during 1977 and 78 was that they really made uh, diversity inclusion, you know, bringing in women and people of color top of mind when they set about looking for a new class of astronauts. And so that dictated various choices that they made in terms of who they reached out to, what groups they tried to, to recruit from how they advertised the program, you know, so uh, Michelle Nichols, uh, Lieutenant Uhura from Mm -hmm. Star Trek, Mm -hmm. you know, she donned an astronaut uh, jumpsuit and, you know, did a bit of a PSA to encourage people to come, to come join the program. So it, so I I wouldn't say it was a formal selection process, but it was certainly something that they took very seriously, that they wanted to bring women and people of color into the program. And so that influenced all of the choices they made uh, when they set out to do the selection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about Nichelle Nichols in Chapter 4, t- t- titled NASA Catches Up. That was kind of foundational to some of this mm-hmm. work that they had to kind of do in order to you know get to a point where we were kind of matching even what the Soviet Union had done at the time they had they had sent Valentina Tereshkova into space in 1963 so a ways before all of this what was it that you know the U.S. was kind of dealing with why why wait you know um yeah, Sally, what was it that uh, just prevented this from happening?
1: So I think at the time, you know based on researchers I spoke to and just kind of the general sentiment back when Valentina flew was, you know, we were very much in a in a race with the Soviets. And anything that detracted from, you know, putting a man on the surface of the moon was seen as a distraction and something that we just did not have time to deal with. And so this concept of sending a woman into space really felt more like a novelty than something, you know, a side project. It wasn't it wasn't what was going to get us to the moon. It wasn't what was going to make us win uh, the space race. And so because of that, NASA didn't really consider it a priority, priority. And so you can see that when Valentina flew, you know, NASA officials just kind of brushed it off and uh, you know, the American press also really talked about, you know, I think her plump figure and how she used her, you know, how she wore lipstick, you know, it was, it just it wasn't something to take seriously. And so that was just reflected in how NASA treated the news when she flew. And so it took that's why it took quite some time before yeah, you know, it really took an outcry and a changing world for NASA to to, you know, sit up and pay attention.
0: And the media didn't do anybody any favors, certainly with headlines like the one that that said, you know, I read this in the book, uh, you know, number one space gal seems a little, you know, astronauty. It just was almost <laughs> yeah. like just a bizarre, you know, by today's standards, almost just weird, even sounding.
1: But yeah that that
0: was that was directed at at jerry cobb and and uh, who's who's one of the of the six, uh, or no, she wasn't one of the six, but that was directed at no. Jerry Cobb, right? But even that was undermining the whole kind of gender issue in with regard to, you know, female astronauts,
1: yeah. no, Jerry Cobb was one of who's considered, you know, the Mercury thirteen, mm-hmm. not the best name for him, but mm-hmm. it was a group of women who um, passed the same test that the Mercury seven had undergone in order to get into their program. And they were just fighting to keep training. You know, they had, they had set up these, this training, uh, so that would, you know, that would further, you know, what they had already done and it got canceled. And so they were just fighting to keep going and to be given a chance. You know, um, it wasn't even that there was a mission for them to fly on. They just wanted to keep training and prove that they were capable and then maybe potentially, fly to space someday. Um, But I think what that headline shows and how the press treated them at the time is just a reflection of how NASA felt. I mean, it's how the country felt. This is a novelty. A woman going to space is a novelty. It's, you know, it's a spectacle. It's not something serious. It's not something that we should be overly concerned about. And so that's why you have, frankly, these really terrible headlines like that, you know, just not... Not treating women with the respect that they deserve.
0: Hi, it's Paul. You know, in today's world, uncertainty seems to be the only constant. Between the debt ceiling, government instability, and the roller coaster that is the stock market, it is hard to know where to put your hard earned money for long term security. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor today, Nationwide Coins. Nationwide Coins sells government gold at cost. Yep, you heard that right. At cost. And here's the kicker all new customers receive their first ounce of gold without any dealer markup. If you're not sure where to start, Nationwide Coins has precious metal consultants on staff. You can actually call them. Yep, a real human conversation. They will guide you to the right gold purchase for your unique financial situation. Let me tell you why I love Nationwide Coins. Well, the coin that I received is absolutely beautiful. As many of you know, I am a former U.S. Treasury Department employee, and I have a deep appreciation for the artistry and value that coins hold. Nationwide has partnered with former U.S. Mint Don Everhart, a renowned artistic infusion designer and artist, a coin artist. Don Everhart is the name you can trust in modern coin design. Nationwide Coins is the exclusive supplier of Don Everhart's signature coins. So. You're not just buying gold. You are investing in a piece of art. So if you've been contemplating diversifying into gold, now's the time. Head over to nationwidecoins.com NOB and use the promo code NOB at checkout for your first one ounce gold coin without any dealer markup. That's nationwidecoins.com NOB. All of this will be in our show notes today. And if you prefer to call... Don't forget to mention our promo code, NOB, so they know we sent you. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Today, I have a special message for you, especially for those who think hydration is just for athletes or marathon runners. Trust me. Hydration is a daily necessity, and we have got just the product to help you stay on top of it, Liquid IV, the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Imagine you're at the airport. I have been there (laughs) waiting for a flight that's been delayed, or perhaps you're standing on the sidelines of your grandchild's soccer game. Maybe you're juggling back to back conference calls or taking a leisurely neighborhood walk. In all these scenarios, proper hydration is crucial. Liquid IV's hydration multiplier is the missing piece in your daily routine. Use it. First thing in the morning to kickstart your day before a workout to optimize performance or when you're feeling run down in the afternoon, it's also a lifesaver after a night out with friends or during those long flights. The packaging is incredibly convenient, making it easy to carry wherever you go. Let's talk about flavors. Seaberry, conquer grape, guava, man, delicious. They make the hydration experience something that you will look forward to. Just one stick. Of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. That's right, two times faster. And let's not forget, it's packed with five essential vitamins B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. So you're not just hydrating, you are nourishing your body. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. It's very, very special. They're not just about selling a product. They are about making a difference. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. You can grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code NOB at checkout. That's 20% off anything when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code NOB at liquidiv.com all of this will be in our show notes so why settle for less when you can hydrate the smart way with liquid iv make it part of your daily routine and feel the difference it makes thank you liquid iv for sponsoring today's show We're with author Lauren Grush. Lauren Grush has written the excellent new book, The Six, The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts. The book is getting great reviews. I really enjoyed it and want to just recommend it heartily to our audience. We'll have links so that our audience can find out more about Lauren Grush, more about her wonderful new book, The Six. One of our former guests, Margot Lee Shetterly, said of the book, of course, Margot Lee Shetterly is a bestselling author herself and uh, wrote the best-seller New York Times bestseller, Hidden Figures. She says, suspenseful, meticulously observed, enlightening, lifts the curtain on the moment when Neil Armstrong's one small step for man expanded to encompass the talent, ambition, and perseverance of America's first female astronauts. Again, the book is wonderful. Lauren Grush, we so appreciate your time. Let's talk a little bit about one of the other characters in the book that you you talk about, and that is Ruth Bates Harris, who really pushed for equal opportunities within NASA, but was termed kind of a disruptive force and, and labeled as such. Tell us a little bit about her and what that all meant and uh, what what that ultimately led to in terms of equal opportunities within NASA.
1: Yeah, so she's a really great character. You know, she was initially hired to run NASA's uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Office. But then when she came on board, she kind of dealt with a demotion. But didn't she didn't let that deter her. She was very, you know, unprompted. She and a, a team of, of people within NASA put together a report that looked at uh, the, the role of women and people of color within NASA. And it was particularly damning. Um, there's a great quote. I have it here. Uh, in terms of female representation in space, uh, there's a, the quote is there have been three females sent into space by NASA. Two are Arabella and Anita, both spiders. The other is Miss Baker, a monkey. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, a month a month after that report uh, was penned, you know, she was fired, and that led to a very big public outcry. Now, obviously, NASA said they didn't fire her because of the report, but you know, obviously, a lot of questions were lobbied at the space agency about what had happened. And this report and what happened to Ruth Bates Harris coincided with the fact that they were opening up the space program, the astronaut corps, again, for a new selection process. So it was just one of those things, again, where NASA was getting a lot of questions about why it had taken so long to reach this point, And the way that they dealt with Ruth Bates Harris and, you know, her employment and her Report, uh, you know, didn't really do them any favors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the six uh, because this was an amazing candidate pool that, that uh, ultimately resulted in six elite women being selected from a pool of eight thousand. Those names: Sally Ride, Judy Resnick, Anna Fisher, Kathy Sullivan, Shannon Lucid, and Ray Sh- Raya Seden. Is that how you pronounce that?
1: Ray Seddon,
0: yeah. Ray Seddon. It's just an amazing uh, process, ultimately, that resulted in in that six. I think one in particular that my, uh, you know, over age 60 audience might be inspired by was, was the story of Shannon Shannon Lucid. And I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about Shannon Lucid and um, the incident that, that took place a, a around, uh, you know, the Saudi prince. Who was part of the <laughs> shuttle mission and discussing spaceware, Just all, again, almost bizarre stuff.
1: Yeah, well, Shannon's story. I'll, I'll back up just a little bit, just because I love talking about Shannon. You know, she was slightly older than mm-hmm. the rest of the other five women when she uh, joined the program, and just that that little generational difference really had an outsized impact on how she was treated when she tried to join the workforce. You know, when she graduated college, she was looking to just get a job. And, you know, she was told that nobody would hire her because she was a woman. And it turned out that that person was right. She suffered so much sexism and pushback just because she wanted to work. And then when she did get a job, you know, she wanted equal pay with her male colleagues. And that was also something that seemed, you know, just out of the realm of possibility for her. So she really dealt with a lot of chauvinism and pushback when she was before she joined the program but she said she was also pleasantly surprised when she did join NASA she was expecting to get those same comments she got all her life but NASA really you know did its best to incorporate the women and make them feel equal and welcome Mm -hmm. of course when she did fly uh on her first flight she flew with the Saudi prince and you know the there was some culture clash between, you know, in terms of the, the people at NASA and trying to make everyone feel comfortable. And that what you, what you pointed out was, you know, there was a moment when she was in space where um, they're about to do a press conference and uh, Mike Mullane, one of her colleagues was given, was told to, to radio up to her and, and tell her not to wear shorts in mm-hmm. case it offended anyone to show her bare legs. And, um, you know, he, he, through that, he he did not tell her that order. He threw that in the trash. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was they were still dealing with even when they came on board. You know, the world still hadn't completely uh, come come around yet. So there were still various um, ways of thinking that needed to progress. But even even after they ca- they came into the program,
0: one of the great pictures in the book. And again, I, I just want to encourage my audience to to go out and pick up this book. Is it's of the STS forty one D crew and you see Judy Resnick there amongst, you know, the other astronauts, Steve Halley, Mike Coates, Henry Hatzfeld, Mike, Mike Mullane, and Charlie Walker. They all look very happy. <laughs> Maybe they weren't so happy because Judy's there in, in shorts and it's just an amazing kind of kind of picture there amongst everything. What were what were some of the other, you know, unique challenges that female astronauts faced uh, you know, as they were approaching spaceflight and, and then dealing with that in-flight environment.
1: Right. Well, when it came to NASA, you know, NASA did its best to really make space for women when they came on board. So that involved, you know, just simple things like adding a women's restroom on at the locker room uh, or at the gym, um, you know, providing various accoutrements that they would need, you know, uh, when in the bathroom, things like that. Also the space shuttle came equipped with a, you know, an all gender toilet that everyone could use. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just things like that. It was putting women top of mind and making sure that, you know, they were designed for when they went to space, obviously when they came to NASA though, not everybody was on board, you know, I, I spoke with Carolyn Hun, on and she was, um, she was one of the women who worked at NASA at the time. And she was kind of the mother hen to the, the six and, you know, she had this great quote she gave me. That was, you know, it's not like we were taking a vote. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were going to bring women into the program and some people were going to like it and some weren't, but you know, that was just how it was going to be. Um, so, you know, there were, were little hiccups here and there in terms of men acting, you know, wondering if, being seen with the women or interacting closely with them would be seen as appropriate. Uh, Some of the astronauts wives, you know, were also not very uh, enlightened when it came to women working with their husbands. For instance, there was one or two that didn't want the women flying in the back seat with uh, some of the, one of their astronaut husbands when they were flying in the jets, the jets, the T-38 jets that um, they had to stay current in. But overall I would say the biggest challenge that the women had to deal with was, the outsized media attention on them and, um, you know, just the sexist questions that they had to deal with whenever, uh, they were put in front of the press, you know, Sally's, uh, press is infamous, you know, Sally rides before Mm -hmm. she flew to space and just the crazy types of questions that she would get, you know, famously, she was asked if she would she wept if something broke in the simulator, you know, um, at one point, it wasn't during a press conference, but during an interview, she was asked if she ever wished she had been born a boy. <laughs> so just things like that, you know, this, they really had to keep their cool when asked some very uh, out of date questions.
0: <laughs> right. Very out of date. And again, almost bizarre. You know, you you'd think of it almost as code, you know, this this reference to, you know, emotional states as being something that, you know, would only affect women in in those kinds of situations those almost cramped quarters but it was that kind of reference that i think gave everybody you know the pause and and almost questioned whether or not you know women could keep up
1: Mm. well yeah I, i i one thing that they all of the astronauts had to go through was um you know, a psychological evaluation mm-hmm. when they were can- they were uh, finalist candidates. So it wasn't just men; it was men and women had to get a psych yeah, evaluation, yeah. and mm-hmm. they um, they both they underwent what was what everyone described to me was kind of like a good cop bad cop scenario. And you know, the good cop would ask you nice questions in friendly tones about your family or what animal you'd wanted to be if you were born again. And then the bad cop would ask you to count backwards from a hundred by seven and then yell at you very sternly when you inevitably messed up. (laughs) Um, But that was really more or less pass fail. The biggest uh, test for when they came on or to see if they were capable and, and fit for the program was their interview with the selection board. And that was really to gauge whether or not they felt like the astronauts really wanted the job and had the temperament for it. So You know, they wanted they wanted to make sure that they were recruiting team players and also people that uh, were willing to wait. You know, a lot of the the time spent as an astronaut is actually spent on the ground. You know, only going to space is such a small part of the job. And so they really wanted to make sure that people were willing to be patient, which is hard when you're an astronaut and your sole aim is to fly to space. (laughs) yeah.
0: It just it seems NASA is a very changed place today. And, and all of this, the six and, you know, taught us all lessons about, you know, these experiences. And um, and you, you see today that astronauts aren't necessarily even drawn from pilots. They're from many different walks of life, irrespective of, of gender. I would imagine that. The six would look at that and look at NASA today and say, "Okay, we we served a role. It was difficult, challenging, but it was the role of of being a pioneer." Would Would you agree? Would that be a, a fair assessment and conclusion? Kind of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of my favorite takeaways from writing this book is that the six are very illustrative of the fact that there's no clear path to space. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they all have very different backgrounds. Um, electrical engineer, a chemist, mm. two medical doctors, an uh, astrophysicist and tennis player, and an oceanographer and geologist. You know, mm. there is no, there's no, you know, one profession that will get you into the astronaut program. And additionally, it wasn't a lifelong dream for all of them, you know, for some, it was, you know, some did dream of space. Uh, you know, Anna Fisher talked about how she thought Maybe if she became a doctor, one day they'd meet doctors on space stations. Mm-hmm. And so that was her kind of her dream of of one day making it uh, to orbit. Um, but for others, you know, it, it wasn't a lifelong dream. It was only something they thought about when they saw that it was available to them and that they were in the right place at the right time with the right qualifications to do it. And so I think that's a really great lesson in terms of why it's important to you know, put diversity and inclusion efforts top of mind when you are trying to open up these programs, because you will find people like Sally Ride, who was not a lifelong astronaut dreamer, but became one when she saw that it was available. And then look how amazing she was, we would have never found her if we hadn't opened up the program like we did and, and recruited it so widely. So, you know, that's just something that I think we should take with us moving forward is that, if you if you make these efforts top of mind, it will you'll be able to find the best people for the job. Hmm.
0: I wonder if we could just personalize it, just as a kind of a final question, Lauren Grush. Um, you you have many contacts within the national or uh, the NASA community, certainly as a science writer. And you know, we're now seeing Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk. Everybody is kind of jumping on the space bandwagon. I wonder if you have any. Designs on, on going up yourself and writing about your experience.
1: I get, I do get asked this question a lot. Oh, and, okay, okay. Um, sorry, sorry. I but shouldn't. I no, no, no. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a prepared answer, so it's, it's all <laughs> oh, <shit>. good. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't anticipate being asked to go to space because I do try to cover objectively, these companies, and they don't always like what I write about them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also joke, you know, if somebody, one of these companies did ask me to go to space, I'm not sure I would trust them to get (laughs) me there safely. (laughs) Um, Just me personally, (laughs) not that they're they're bad at it. Um, But at the same time, you know, if I was asked and, uh, you know, it's the story of a lifetime, you know, I, I would have a hard time saying no. So, Uh, We'll just see who knows what the future holds, but, you know, if they're going to, if they're trying to make space as, you know, accessible and uh, affordable, like they say they will, you know, maybe there will be an opportunity for me someday.
0: Well, I hope so. I I guess I hope so selfishly because I'd love to have you come back and talk to us about just that <laughs> episode. So I'll be I'll be selfish in my in my request, but but we'd love to have you back too and talk about your your science writing and all that you're doing. Again, congratulations on the wonderful book titled "The Six: The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts." Lauren Grush has been our guest. Thanks again for reading and for being so generous with your time and for answering all of my questions. This has just been fascinating. The book is great. Good luck to you. Have a great rest of your day and again, congrats.
1: Thank you so much. I loved it.
0: My thanks to our sponsors today, Liquid IV and Nationwide Coins, please check out our sponsors, support them as they in turn support the show. My thanks to science writer Lauren Grush, author of the new book The 6: The Untold Story of America's First Women Astronauts. Thanks, Lauren, for reading. Appreciate that. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And my thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better show audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better show. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week.